Hi, I'm Tom, founder of independent Manchester radio station Cotton City Radio. But you're not here for me, you're here for this man. So I'll shut up and get into my role as semi-silent producer and hand you over to the man himself. Hi, I'm Rob Muldoon and I'm here to launch a podcast about mental health in the construction industry. And what's the podcast called? The Mind Your Head Podcast. Lovely stuff. Where did the name come from? Well, when, when I first came up with the idea of doing a podcast, I had several different names that I wanted to do for the podcast, but I all wanted them to be relevant to do with construction and to try and tick the box of mental health, but not be something that's forced. So I came up with the Mind Your Head podcast, purely on the basis that you bang your head all the time at work, wearing the hard hat, banging it on scaffolding and day to day and everything to do with mental health comes from your head mm-hmm. a lot of the time and that, that's where it came from and build a bear workshop was taken <laughs> <laughs> so i'm 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 curious i think a lot of our listeners will be as well what were some of the the names that hit the cutting room floor let me just check my notebook <laughs> <laughs> there was fragile roof i came up with slips trips and falls because slips trips and falls um is the biggest killer in the industry. But that's only from the figures that we get told. The biggest killer in the industry is suicide. But it, that still brings you back to minding your head, yeah. which I really like about the name and I think a yeah. lot of people will, will key into. What do you think drew you towards mental health in the construction industry as a subject to focus on? I th- I, a lot of it comes from my day-to-day job, which is a site manager dealing with upwards of 25 members of staff every day um, and they're, they're coming to me and asking me for advice asking me what they do and how would I deal with this sort of situation and it sort of snowballed from there and escalated and I was thinking actually I, I, I do quite enjoy doing this um, and I do get a lot of feedback and I get a lot of um, f- well good feeling from it Why do you think they come to you? I feel I'm pretty easy to talk to um, I, I make time for people. Um, it's a big thing for me, to definitely, to try and make time and make people feel important and make them feel a worth. And I, I guess that I'm, I'm pretty easy to talk to, and that's what, where it came from. I appreciate that. That sounds like a bit of a silly black question yeah. of uh, number three. What's your name? Where do you come from? And sell yourself on why you're a good listener. Um, who's there for you? So you're there to listen to everyone else. Who's there for you? I've got an amazing wife. She she takes on a lot of the burden. I'll come home and I'll be in a stinking mood because of whatever's gone on in the day and it's not it's not quite worked. And she's there for me to take that away. Um, on, on this mental health journey that I've been going on, I've managed to build up a network of people that we can bounce off each other. I've got an amazing boss, Paul. Um, I can always ring him if I ever need anything, and he, he makes it quite clear. As well, do the other. Uh, guys that I do the mental health stuff with they make it quite clear that sometimes you might have to deal with something that is pretty severe and you you need to talk to somebody about it and they're always open and they're always at the end of the phone or if you're working on the same site let's go for a coffee mm-hmm. I mean this is not to downplay any mental health experiences you've had for good or ill yeah but it sounds like quite a good network to have around and not everyone is necessarily that that lucky what do you think is the biggest challenge for people to access that help? Because there are always friends and family there. When mm. you hear about people who've attempted and completed suicide, the issue is always, I wish they'd come to talk to me. I wish I'd known. I wish I could have done something. 
what stops people? Sometimes it's quite difficult to talk to somebody you're close to because you might think, oh, he's moaning at me or she's moaning at me again. Whereas I think if you have somebody who's detached from your social circles or your family circle, then that, that can be the difference, I think. What was your biggest moment when you realised that your own mental health was something that you needed to pay a bit more attention to? I don't, I don't think we realised that. You, you, you've got a problem sometimes. I went through a, a bad patch with maybe two years ago. Um, kids coming along, um, stress of work, loads of miles driving every day. You're sat in the car for hours and you get time to just stew over things and, and not knowing how to deal with it. And sometimes that can be a problem. And if you hurt yourself or you, you, you bang your knee and you can't go out playing football or whatever, you'll sit and rest it. Whereas you don't sit and rest your mind. You'll be laid in bed, there'll be silence, and you can your mind will be just chewing over stuff. And I think people need to realise that you do need to rest, and you do need the help, and you do need to just switch off and take the time out for yourself. If you could give one piece of advice to Rob two years ago, what would you say? Step out of the shoes that you're in and take a look at the life you've got. It ain't that bad. Things have changed, but things have changed for a reason. Uh, doing what you're doing or doing what you did was not the right way to deal with this. And maybe if I did have, at that time, somebody to talk to or realised that I had people around me to talk to, that I'm going through the same journey as pretty much every single guy that I work with when kids have come along and your life is massively changed and just knowing how to deal with it. What was the biggest barrier to that then, two years ago? Not wanting to admit I've got, I have a problem. Why do you think it's hard to admit anyone to admit they've got a problem with their mental health? The stigma behind it. Um, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. I'll be all right. Oh, it's not that bad. Don't want to show the weakness. What do you get told all the time when you're a kid, especially when you're a lad? Stop crying. Get on with it. Get up. Big boys don't cry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's toxic. It really is toxic. And I guess this takes me to my next question. What is it about construction that makes it uniquely tricky to have a conversation about mental health? Because it's such a masculine, lads, lads, lads uh, environment that we all work in, and there's high pressure, and you don't want to show weakness, and you've got you've got big deadlines and massive amounts of money involved, and pressure from all the way up and all the way down, and you can have, I mean, like in my job, I'll have pressure from the office trying to make sure that the job's making money all the way, I'm not making mistakes, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting the paper trail and the red tape ticked. Then I've got pressure from the lads making sure they've got enough work in front of them to keep them going because if they're not earning money, they'll, they'll go somewhere else. And having to deal with that every day, um, and it's, it's just a big juggling act. And I think because we don't want to show that weakness in the construction industry, that oh, Rob can't do his job, this, that and the other, then nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to let the guard down. Nobody wants to show that, hang on, I'm, 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 not, doing, I'm not doing good here. I need, I need a bit of help, outside help. And I think it's no matter what level you have it on. So whether you're uh, an apprentice starting or whether you're a 35, 40-year veteran of the industry, um, everybody needs the help out there. And people have got to realise that. And that's the whole aim of this podcast, to try and break them barriers and try and break that stigma and try and make people realise that everybody needs a bit of help every now and again. 
it's sounds cynical, but obviously it's a hard conversation to have. It's a hard conversation for anyone to have in any industry. Yeah. But it's harder for a construction firm, a contractor, yeah. a director yeah. to have a suicide on the books, especially, again, to be cynical when you've got the HSE round the corner. Yeah. So why haven't we done something about it already? I don't know, really, because I think, like you mentioned, the HSE, everything is drilled into us about health and safety on site. Five years ago, there was nothing mentioned about mental health. And going back to the names that was coming up with saying slips, trips and falls is the biggest killer, people tripping and falling off scaffolding and not cleaning up and tripping over materials and stuff. So as an industry, we sort of hover around 45 to 55 deaths a year. Um, everybody tries the best to, to prevent that whereas the suicide rate is more than double that on average it's about two two guys kill, and it's mainly men mm-hmm. that kill themselves it's a male dominated environment that we all work in and it, um, it's it's men that find it difficult to talk and I was one of them I, I, I never wanted to talk to anybody about it because I didn't want to show that weakness or I didn't want to think what's he going on about mm-hmm. When was the last time you were off work? Uh, three years ago, maybe, two years ago. What did you have? No, it was two years ago. I got a bit of insulation stuck in my eye and I had to go to hospital to get it Jesus. taken out. Um, when was the last time you cried off work because you had a cold? Never. Right, okay. Site manager? Yeah. When was the last time one of your lads was off sick? You, you, very rarely you get them off. You, you get them under the club, but that's just booze. <laughs> Other people ringing in and saying I'm not coming in because I'm not very well very rare in terms of injury what was the last time you had someone off sick I don't think luckily touch wood I've, I've never had serious injury on site where people have been off with it I've had people hurt their ankle at football and things like that but they might strain their ankle on the Thursday they're back in work on the Monday okay so I, I think I know the answer to this when was the last time you ever phoned in on any job and said I'm not coming in I just can't cope with it today. Never. When was the last time you had someone phone you and say the same thing? Never. Can you think of either a moment when you or someone you knew on site needed to just get home and sort themselves out because they weren't right? Absolutely. Several occasions. Was that time frame wise, when's the last time you can remember being in a position where things were just getting too much? Probably two years ago. And again, don't need to name any names, but when was the last time you saw someone on site and thought, I need to pull this person to one side because something's not quite right here? That was possibly six months ago. That's terrifying. Yeah. You you will very rarely get a big near miss or an injury that's going to take someone out on, on long-term sick. And yeah, when yeah. you do, you take them to one side, you do your accident report, you log that if you need to, you treat it seriously. If something had such a high likelihood and such a high outcome yeah. as suicide, yeah. you'd take it seriously if that was a chemical you weren't storing yeah. properly or if it was a bit of scaffolding you kept cracking your head on. Yeah, yeah. What can we do going forward, specifically in the construction industry, to get better at identifying and dealing with this? I think we can definitely do mental health risk assessments and refresh them maybe on a monthly basis. Because something that doesn't seem a problem to me, you and Johnny over there, it might it might be a big problem to Billy over there. And we tend to sort of whitewash the problems, I think, at the minute, think because oh, it's one more thing to deal with. And I think it is changing, it's definitely changing. But I think we need to spend more time and focus on the 
people that work for us. There's definitely a rift in the construction industry of us versus them. So guys on the tools to the guys in the office. And I think that needs to be broken down a bit more and that barrier won't be there and maybe people will open up a bit more and make it a bit easier for everybody to talk to and get along and, and just just realise that they all get built in the end. Mm-hmm. They all get finished in the end and they all get sold if it's a house or whatever. Um, and we just need to be more realistic with things, I think, on site. Because like you say, if, if it was a, a gas bottle not stored in a, in a cosh cage or, or whatever it might be, it's pretty obvious what the problem is and we, we can deal with it. A lot of this is you, you can't see what the problem is. And we, we could do with coming up with something that can relate to everybody that makes it pretty obvious that there's something wrong. And if people don't want to shout at the top of the scaffold, I've got a problem, I've got this, I've got that, we could come up with a solution of a Dropbox or a quiet room or just 10 minutes to catch somebody's eye to come and talk to them. What do you think your job is as a mental health first aider? A lot of the time it's just somebody to listen and people to vent to you to take that pressure off them and make them realise that they don't they don't have to worry about something like that they're, they're not the only one that's gone through that and my role as a mental health first aider is to help them in the moment in that situation that they're going through hopefully calm them down uh, make sure they're safe make sure people around them are safe and just try and reset them for, for that moment and, and guide them along the way for future help that they might need or put, send them, point them in the right direction of the help that is out there for them. It sounds like something minor, but if you think about, I assume you've been first aid trained in the past, yeah, if yeah. you think about triaging in first aid, yeah. more so it's going to be the cuts, a yeah. splinter in the eye, a chemical burn, something yeah, yeah. like that. Slightly more minor stuff, but still needs attacking in the moment sorting out getting them to the right place whether that's bandaged up and sent home or bandaged up and sent to to hospital hospital. as a mental health first aider i think there's a a misconception that the reason we're here is to stop people from having a psychotic episode but really what a mental health first aider is there to do is to do exactly that to have that non-judgmental ear and shoulder and and talk someone through a moment of crisis or just a moment where they're struggling and things are at a lower ebb because it stops you from getting to that yeah. bad point. You're not there to cure anybody because that's that's not your job. You're there to help. And, and like you say, if, if it was a cut, just if you had a bleed, you'd put that pressure on the bleed till the ambulance came or till it got to hospital. And, and you're doing pretty much the same job. You're just helping somebody in that moment and, and trying to get them through that moment to then go on to further help. One incident I can think of, I, I remember vividly, Stand on a job in Liverpool, vividly standing in the rain. But we had one lad who worked for us who openly admitted he had mental health problems and he, he could not deal with the pressure of the job. And he was screaming and shouting, he was, he was quite violent to himself. And I remember standing there, guys just turning the back and walking away. I, I don't, I don't want to deal with that, it's not my problem. I remember calming him down and sorting him out, and I, I, I got him home got him because he lived quite away although he lived in Liverpool he, was, he had to go around the houses to get to his house so mm-hmm. I took him home and calmed him down and he had a bit of time off and he came back in a week or so later and he just came over to me thanks for that I needed that and that to me was massive 
I hadn't really done anything except listen to what in that very moment what was wrong with him and and just calmed him down and got him to his safe place of being at home. This is where I think employers need to switch themselves on because in a director's shoes, I would much rather have that, know that one of my members of staff was out for a week and one of my other members of staff was out for a little bit of time one day supporting him than I would have my name mentioned in a suicide note. Absolutely. And that sounds like a very, very grim thing to say, but that's the reality you're confronting if you just hope for the best and... I don't have to deal with it, so I'm, I'm all right. Exactly. And I think if you were really honest with yourself, we talk a lot about, oh, health and safety gone mad nowadays, but we are having fewer people die of asbestosis. Yeah. We're having fewer people die of... Being crushed by plant and... Exactly. Yeah. That's not a bad thing. No, it's not, no. We've got fewer people falling off ladders and scaffolding. We've got... The list is endless. And when you see incidents that hit the news, someone stuck their arm in a lawnmower for a housing provider and and lost their hand or their fingers, it is a big deal. Yeah. Because it's a big deal. The fact that a lot of these stories don't hit the headlines because there's still a taboo around mental health, let alone suicide, that feels like the big barrier to me. Where do you start? I think as well, like, construction is like any other business. It's facts and figures that have to be done and... With the health and safety, there's there's tons and tons and tons of figures out there. I think maybe it needs to be reported a, a bit better because if you if you sat down in front of the directors and said you've had four members of staff go off this year with injuries due to X, Y, and Z on the building site, you will then look at a plan of moving forward. Right? How can we do it a different way? Can we do it mechanically rather than manually? But because there's no facts and figures out there, you can't turn around to your directors and say. we've lost 720 days this year um, across the board with all the guys being off because they've had mental health problems and things like that. I think if if that was done a bit more, then it'd be a bit more hard hitting. And and if you could put a value next to it, like you were going back to say that you'd prefer it if if we lost that particular guy for one week, but he came back and he was back to operational Mm. full strength. By the time you lose somebody for a mental health problem, they can be off for a week whereas if if you're putting preventative bits in beforehand you're saving money it might cost you money in the short term but long run you're saving money Mm -hmm. because you're not losing them days Mm -hmm. you might lose a day Mm -hmm. instead of losing several days do you think there's some willful ignorance there yeah there is yeah because and the the reason i say that is we have a big big stomach bug problem at our work we don't yeah People can't phone in and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got problems with my mental health yeah. or I'm feeling stressed yeah. or I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling depressed. Does that bear itself out in construction as well, do you think? Yeah, massively, yeah. No, nobody rings up and say, I'm really anxious today, I'm not coming in. They'll ring me up and say, I've got the shits. Or they'll text me, mm-hmm. got the shits today, can't make it in. That's what you get off them. And you know that it's a load of shit, really, because if they have generally hurt themselves at football, they'll say to me, because it's an industry where it's pretty open like that, I've hurt my ankle at football, I can't come in. Or I drank too much last night, I can't come in. They'll, they'll tell me stuff like that. But when they, when they send you just got the shits, you know, that there could be certain individuals, there could be a different problem. And then I'll just flick them a text message throughout the day. You all right? Mm-hmm. Facebook's a massive thing now, isn't it? And there's a couple of guys, especially through the COVID lockdown, they were putting some pretty... Well, I could see they were struggling. And I'd, I'd flick them a message nothing to do with what they've written on Facebook just something right mate how are you doing what do you think of this what do you think of that and just keep topping it up throughout the weeks that, that they're in lockdown and that's the way to go I think 
we have to start treating a no yeah. from someone who's struggling with their mental health, whatever degree that is too. Mm. We need to start treating a no from them or a I'm okay yeah, yeah. or no, nothing's wrong. Yeah. The same way that you would treat a fine from yeah. your missus. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that seems to me to be the problem. Yeah. Is we're all too eager to go, oh, Dave's fine. Yeah, I spoke to him, he said he's all right. You know full well he's just saying it. Just, just to pacify you and, and move you on. And I think that, that going back to what we were saying before, why do people come talk to me? Because I'll probably ask that question again, but I'll ask it a different way. And I'll, I'll give it a few hours and I'll, I'll come back to them. I'll go and do what I need to do. And I'll just drop it in a conversation about how's things at home. What, what did you do last night? What did you have for tea? That's a big one. I'll say, what did you have for tea last night? Because a lot of them, will, if, if they're eating crap, and I know that they don't usually eat crap, then I know they're not looking after themselves that way so there's obviously something wrong I like it I think learning those routines and understanding your staff and mm. I, I would say that they're very fortunate to have you at the helm on a, on a on a site management capacity to be able to support them but that's what you've got to do that's your coping mechanism when yeah. you've not got support mechanisms yeah. elsewhere what could your company do or what could any company do yeah. to help you give that support to your staff members you reckon it's a good question um is having the conversation the starting point? Yeah, maybe, yeah. Having, cause you, you can have posters everywhere. I think posters that are needed around like at the top of the urinal or wherever, so you start having a pee and you can see it. They are needed. They do serve a purpose. But I think it's a subliminal message that more than a, a hard-hitting message. If you start seeing it everywhere, it becomes normalised um, and you, you don't want to... But at the same time, you don't want it everywhere all the time. It just gets lost in the noise of everything that's going on in the day. And I think if we can start providing that conversation or making people relaxed around us as a company or us as our managers and, and the managers, other managers buying into it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, people have got to be willing, but at the same breath, if they don't feel capable of doing that, that's fine, that's absolutely fine. But if we, if we can get a team together that can do that, and put them with certain individuals and, and things like that, then I think we could stand out in the crowd to show that we're caring for the staff. We we really do listen to what they have to say and try and help them in, in more ways than just providing them work and a wage. We're here to help them in life. It's a no-brainer. The problem with that is we're building a foundation from a certain baseline assuming that everyone else is on board. Yeah. What's your answer to the lad on site or the manager who turns around and says, what's all this mental health bollocks you're doing, Rob? Yeah, that's, I get that question a lot. Why, why, why are you bothering with that? Um, and I say, I say it for exactly that reason why you've just said that to me. I say to him because we need to start the conversation. We need to talk. We need to make it easy for people to talk to because the people that complain about it the most are probably the people that need it the most. And they're trying to white wash over it and give it that I don't need that. I'm well, what a load of shit that is. We we don't need this. They're, they're the whole point of this journey that I'm going on to make it easy for people to talk to, to make it easy for that mentality that people have that I don't want to talk about that. That's, I don't want Joe knowing what I'm going through at home. And if if I can get them to realise within a couple of minutes that they're actually oh right okay you're doing it for that reason you do need to genuinely help people we're not we're not doing it because we're nosy and we want to know what everybody's doing we, we just want to do it to help 
it's mad because once you break down that this isn't an HR initiative and we're yeah, doing yeah. it for a yeah, reason, yeah. people can buy into it a bit more easily. The mad thing is that if that same person was in a situation, don't get me wrong, I'm I'm a Mancunian who wears nothing but a t-shirt until the Christmas market's open. <laughs> so I'm just as guilty of it myself, but I have my limits. Yeah. And I would bet that that same person, if you went into A&E with a broken leg, you're not going to refuse painkillers. You're not going to tell no. them not to put your leg no. in a cast. I think you're really right to pick up on that pushback to go, why are you talking about mental health? Yeah being, if anything, an indicator that someone probably needs to talk yeah, about yeah. their mental health. Because they wouldn't do it if no. it was a physical ailment. Yeah, yeah. If, if they do break their arm, like we said before, if you break your arm, it's pretty obvious what you've done. Whereas with this, and the, the way I try to do it is that all the guys in the other in the brew room or wherever don't know that I've just had this conversation with him over there about whatever's going on in his life. And it, um, they, they just think we're just having a chat about work or with a, a drawing or whatever. They don't know what we're talking about. I don't go and tell anybody. And I don't reason why I think I'm pretty good, is it? Because I'm pretty forgetful. <laughs> <laughs> so they might tell me a load of stuff and I'll get home and I think, well, I can't even remember what he said. But it'll register with me that they do need the chat every now and again. I like that. Confidentiality <laughs> is exactly the same as memory loss. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's tricky because you can't sign an emotional cast. No, you can't. When you've, you've not got anything to hang it on physically. Yeah. Um, or at least to the to the naked eye, it, it's tricky. Same reason that people who have invisible conditions struggle. Yeah, yeah, Same yeah. reason that um, people who have diabetes struggle. Yeah. Because you don't have anything you can point to and go, yeah, look, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is th- this is the thing I'm dealing with. I think if you can normalise it to whatever degree, you can make it more accessible and you can break down the stigma. If you can make it something that just doesn't get picked up on. Yeah. Yeah that's probably just as good because the people who do need you know that you are a trusted ear that they can talk to judgment free but also confidentially where no one else is going to get wind of it no one else is going to see that emotional cast and weirdly the thing that holds people back could be exactly the cell or exactly the hook you need to make sure they come to you and talk about it yeah there are challenges but i think there are opportunities there as well yeah the challenges i think well I'm, i'm constantly learning Constantly learning um, and constantly thinking, mm, no, have I said the right thing to him? But a lot of the time, I don't, I don't tend to say a lot to people. I just listen. And it, it can be difficult sometimes to think that, oh, God, you're making a big mistake there. But I, I can't turn around and say that. It's, it's not for me to say that. So that they're the challenges, I think, along the way. And But the the benefits you get from it or, or the feedback that you get from it works. They'll come up to, so that person who said to me, why are you doing that mental health crap? Why are you doing all that? I've had it maybe three times where they come to me and go, actually, I get what you're saying now. The, the, the biggest challenge I think is breaking down that masculine barrier that's there at the minute. And once we can get through that, or if we can deliver it in a way that people don't feel like they're, they're dropping the guard, but at the same time they're asking for help. And I think, I think it's a win-win situation for everyone. When you do your first aid course, mm. the first aid trainer will always say, as long as you're trying to help the situation, yeah. you're very unlikely to do more damage yeah, than yeah. good. What's the best thing that you can say to someone who's in a mental health crisis? Don't say a lot. Just just listen. I think don't turn around and say, oh, you'll be all right. You're fine. Don't worry about it. A lot of the time, I just stand there, not with a blank vacant look, uh, but just just let them control the situation um, and and just listen. What's the worst thing you can say or do when someone's in a mental health crisis? 
Get over it. What are you worrying about? You'll be alright. There's nothing wrong with you. Come on. Get on with it. Translating that into a normal first aid scenario yeah. amounts to doing nothing. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what we need to do. I think you, I think we need to make things, instead of just telling somebody, you try and make it relevant for them in that, in that situation uh, and giving them examples like you were saying. If somebody was having a heart attack down there and you don't give them the first aid, that's pretty much what you're doing by just telling them to get on with it. It's kind of worse. Yeah. Because in regular first aid, if I do nothing mm. to that person who's having a heart attack, they'll die. Mm. But it would be worse if I was standing over them yeah. while they were having yeah. a heart attack and going, oh, come on, yeah, what, yeah. Are you, what are you messing about for? Get up off the ground, yeah. stop having a heart attack, yeah. get on with it, yeah, back yeah. to work. There's a project that needs delivering yeah, it. Yeah, We've yeah. got to deliver X units by yeah, yeah. Y date. When you put it in that context, if you did that, on site, not only would that death incident whatever yeah. be reportable to the HSE, but you would rightly not only lose your job yeah. or at the very least be brought in front of a tribunal, but you'd probably end up in an institution. Yeah. The fact that you could show such a disconnect to go, no, not only did I not do anything, but I heckled to the guy who was yeah. having a heart attack on the floor. Now, that is not a judgment on mm. anyone, but it does indicate what we need to do and how far we've got to go on mental health. Yeah, because that's the baseline we're starting from. If if you don't feel comfortable, you don't want to give that first aid, whether it is physical first aid or mental first aid. Hopefully, we can get enough people, or there should be enough people on site now that you could turn around to them and say, "Look, I, I don't know how to deal with this situation. Can you come help me?" And if if we can get a, a network of people, because on site there must be, well, you look at everybody's hard hat with a little green and white cross on. There must be forty, fifty first aiders on site across the board. Where there's probably on projects that we're on maybe two mental health first aiders. So if you're if you're on one of the big projects that we work on and there's five hundred plus men on site across the board and you've got two guys that are the mental health first aiders, then it doesn't really work. I'm guessing that you're abnormal rather than normal in the industry to have mental health first aiders on your sites. Yeah, but it, it is changing. To be fair, it is changing. In the past eighteen months, two years, there's you can I can think back on the on the jobs that I've been on, and there was one first aider, uh, mental health first aider, and now I, the last job I was on, there was four of us, I think, and that that was a smaller project as well. So the ratio is changing, I think. Part of breaking down that stigma and helping that change continue in a positive way is this podcast. Yeah. Why a podcast? With the industry that we work in, I do anywhere between thirty-five and 55,000 miles a year driving. So you spend a lot of time sat listening to radio or sat listening to um, whatever. And I think I chose this because I listen to a lot of podcasts now. I very rarely listen to the radio or listen to the odd bit of music, but this is my main source of if I want to learn something. And I thought it's a great way of communicating that the whole idea of um, the, the mental health is to talk. Our podcast is pretty much just all talking. And, and I thought it'd be a great basis to start off with, with this and, and to be different to everybody else, to, to, to do something different and show the positivity that can come from it. What's your dream for Mind Your Head? My dream for Mind Your Head is to break down the barriers of uh, the stigma to do with mental health 
to help people along the way and realise that, oh, bloody hell, I went through that. I'm, I'm going through that. I don't understand if, if we can give them that snippet and we can make them realise that there is help out there and there is um, other people going through the same thing and they, they've come through the other side and we do prevent suicides. That, that's the ultimate goal. If, if we can prevent suicides, then that's that we're winning. I'd say we're winning. Oh, we're getting people to talk. Mm. Absolutely getting people to talk. Just whether it's talking to us or whether it's talking to other people at work or whether we're setting um, the platform on how people can can come and relate to what's going on with us and they can then take their message forward within their company or within their industry, then great, absolutely great. Well, I'm happy to be on the journey with you. For Excellent. Thank you for coming with us. I will be the, the ghostly producer who sits in the back. I'm looking forward not just to hearing your stories, asking you questions and seeing what comes out of that, but also listening and, and being a fly on the wall to the conversations you're going to have with people in the industry, mm-hmm. sharing their stories, their experiences uh, and that kind of thing. For the listeners, when can they catch Mind Your Head? Every month, wherever they get the podcast from. Lovely stuff. Um, I think that's a good shout. And it shows people that you're willing to step up to the plate and have the conversation, which is kind of the point. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, I am. I'm really excited. I've been looking forward to this. I can't wait to to see where it goes. I hope you crack the nut. I hope you get to where you want to get to in terms of challenging the mental health stigma in the in the construction industry. It's interesting because it's absolutely not unique as mm. an industry yeah. in terms of having a stigma around yeah, mental yeah. health. But... It is unique in that it has so many other things that can compound that risk. So the stigma around mental health when you're around power tools or working at height sounds grim, but becomes that much worse when you throw a mental health crisis into the mix. So I wish you all the luck in the world with it. Um, I hope that it brings something good into the industry and we'll we'll see where we go from here. So I'm going to throw it out to you. You've been listening to the Mind Your Head podcast and I hope you enjoyed what you heard today. And hopefully you can come along this journey with us. You can reach us on all the socials at the Mind Your Head podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. And if you have any ideas for the show, let us know. Nice one. All right. Take care, Rob. I will do. You too.